welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith's weekly sermon podcast. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. But today, uh, as we uh, conclude the Christmas season and Epiphany, uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb, shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's go to him in prayer. We pray, O God, that by your Spirit, that you would indeed bless your church through the preaching of your word. And we pray now that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think with me about Christ, and I want you to think with me about the context, about the setting that we have read here in Luke chapter 2. He who said that he had come to fulfill all righteousness did, in his perfect obedience to the law of God. But if you think about it, it was not just in his perfect obedience as an adult, But so also, as we see in our passage today, and Luke goes at great lengths to explain what is happening here in keeping the law, he was also faithful in keeping it as, well, as an infant. Theologians refer to this distinction as his active and passive obedience. And we clearly see obedience here today. According to the law, as the firstborn male, he was to be presented to the Lord. Harking back to the Egyptian captivity and God's preservation of Israel, preserving the firstborn of Israel by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus' presentation also included his mother's ceremonial purification following childbirth and a required sacrifice, a required sacrifice of a lamb. But so also, as Luke reveals here, the sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. 
This was the offering of a family of meager means. And in this picture that we get, we see a humble yet beautiful picture of covenant faithfulness, of obedience, and so also the earthly blessing of a godly home. Think about that. And yet, into this beautiful picture, God, the Holy Spirit, inserts this character named Simeon. He's a righteous, he's a devout man, likely elderly. Now, nothing is known about Simeon except what Luke reveals to us in our passage today. But it says that he was a man who was waiting. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that phrase should catch our attention. And it would have caught the attention of the knowledgeable reading of Luke's gospel. Because that phrase, a man waiting for the consolation of Israel, would have hearkened back to the prophet of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah who prophesied comfort or console. Comfort or console. My people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the voice of song. And such promises, I could go on of course, such promises of consolation sustained Simeon. I mean, it wasn't just like he was waiting on the corner. No, he was sustained by the Word of God. And so also by the presence of the Holy Spirit who had revealed to him, Simeon, you will not die until you have seen the Lord's Christ. As you may know, that that English word Christ is the translated word, the Greek word Christos, which is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. You're not going to die. Until you've seen Israel's Messiah. You will not die until you see the Lord's Christ. It is an extraordinary divine promise filled with hopeful expectation. And so Simeon, Luke records, came in the spirit into the temple on the day of Jesus' presentation. And as I'm reading this, and perhaps as you are as well, I can only imagine Simeon's excitement. For the Holy Spirit has surely now revealed to him, this is what you have been waiting for, or he is whom you have been waiting for. And seeing the child and and hearing his given name, you shall call his name Jesus, which means Yahweh Saves And I can, ima- I, I can only imagine Simeon seeing the baby and his heart rejoicing. This is the moment. My whole existence has been summed up in this, waiting for him. Everything that Simeon had waited for, he held in his arms. The offspring of woman, the son of God. And then, carried along by the Holy Spirit, as Peter tells us, he blessed God saying, 
And I want you to look again with me at the blessing of Simeon, starting in verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Many of you know that this blessing is often referred to in Latin as the nunc dementis, meaning now you dismiss. Simeon's blessing is not only then as a personal confession, which he certainly makes, but it's also a declaration. Now think with me as you have that passage, verse 29 through 32 in front of you, As a personal confession, what is Simeon saying? Well, he's revealing that he has beheld what God promised by his word. God is faithful to his word. Simeon could say in that moment, Simeon could say to us today as Luke records, God is faithful to his word. But we also see here, Simeon does not fear death. Everything hinges on him seeing the Christ. And in seeing him, he does not fear his death, but he rejoices in Christ. He will depart, he confesses, in peace. What Simeon confesses is a Christian confession. For we do not fear death, but know that it is merely a conclusion of earthly service to the Lord. I mean, this could be our confession as well, could it not? Now, Lord, your servant can depart in peace. In Christ, we do not depart this life in fear or angst. That's the world's business. But for us, we do not fear. We are not anxious But we depart in peace, knowing that our departure is to be led into the presence of our Lord. And so Simeon rejoices. He rejoices at the arrival of Christ. But his confession is more than personal. His confession is also a declaration of God's salvation of all peoples. And that's not a typo. It is S at the end. Of all peoples, of all kinds of peoples. And so let's look at this, of his declaration of God's salvation. In the fourth chapter of Galatians, the Apostle Paul uses an expression. I have quoted it to you now several times through Advent. I will quote it to you again here to set context. Paul says, when the fullness of time, Now think about that term, in the fullness of time, and think about the blessing of Simeon, what he says. And what he says, and he uses a key word here of prepared, or preparation. That idea of preparation and the fullness of time should mesh in our minds. When the fullness of time had come, what did God do? God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so it is a fulfillment of God's proto-evangelic promise in the curse upon the serpent. 
Also, a passage that I've quoted to you now from the beginning of Advent all the way through intentionally to remind you that God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God, in His eternal purpose, according to the counsel of His own will, through the means of His appointment, foreordained salvation through the suffering yet victorious Savior. And the story of Scripture onward describes God's preparation. You might say from that third chapter of Genesis on the way through the Gospels and then we get to Galatians chapter 4 and Paul says... Gives us this beautiful expression, in the fullness of time. God has been working this out. God has been preparing this. God has been doing this to save from all peoples a people for His own possession. For example, think about Abraham. When God blessed Abraham, God called him and gave him the promise that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed. And you think back. If you're reading scripture for the first time. And you come across that in Genesis. And you think, well, well how? And, and when? And onward through the patriarchs of Israel. Where we get glimpses of God's grace bestowed upon the likes of, well, the most unlikely. Like Rahab, the pagan prostitute. And then we go on into the prophets. And you think, well, when is this going to happen? When will the serpent's head be crushed? When will all the families of the earth be blessed? And then we get into the prophets. And the prophets of Israel say this. They say that there will be one to come of Israel, a light For the nations. That God's salvation would reach even to the ends of the earth. Isaiah chapter 49. And so the Savior had come. In the fullness of time. As God sovereignly prepared. Not only in the presence of Israel. But look at the passage with me. In the presence of all peoples. In other words, not only a revelation for the Jews, but a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon beheld with his eyes. Simeon held in his arms him whom God sent forth. A light shining in the darkness. And John tells us that the darkness has not overcome it. Though the world is darkened by sin... Jesus came to shine the light of His gospel even into the darkest corners of unbelief. Think back to Jesus' earthly ministry when He came proclaiming the gospel of God's salvation in His life, His death, and His resurrection. It became the fulfillment of what God had prepared and what Simeon prays. For you see, Jesus not only saves But He is salvation. He is salvation Himself. And there is no salvation apart from Him. 
That's why Jesus could say in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. And apart from Him, apart from Him, there is no communion with God, no salvation from God's wrath and curse, and we are continually liable to all miseries of this life, to death itself and to the pains of hell forever. That's the description of life apart from Christ. But through faith in Christ, there is salvation unto eternal life. Good news, right? Good news. That is the gospel to the Jews to whom Jesus came, to the Gentiles to whom Jesus sent us. And so I want to look at God's salvation and look at this phrase, to the Gentiles. When Simeon concluded his prayer, Luke records this. In fact, you can see it with me. Look in verse 33. Luke records, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Surely in that moment, it was unexpected. The way that I envision it, in my mind at least, is Mary and Joseph are doing what they need to do. They're doing what is required of them. And in comes this man. And this man is not only really excited, he also wants to hold your baby. Right? He's like, this is odd. Marvel? Yes, perhaps. And who wouldn't marvel at the presence of an old spirit-filled saint whose last breath, literally, whose last breath hung upon seeing your child. But, now think about this, who this is. This this is Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is Joseph, her husband. These are the parents who had encountered angels and received direct special revelation from God. Those Those are some things that are extraordinary, right? And this is a couple that you would think nothing will surprise Mary and Joseph. You know, angels appeared to them. God spoke directly to them. So also, worshiping shepherds showed up in the meager place of Jesus' birth. So also, magi showed up bearing gifts, not for a peasant, but for a king. This is Mary and Joseph. Indeed, they marveled. But if you look back at verse 33, they did not marvel that a pious old man held up, rejoiced, and exalted their child. What does it say they marveled at? They marveled at what he said. Now that's key. For what Simeon said was contrary to the prevalent thought of their day. And we're going to see this later play out, don't we, in the Gospel of Luke, when all of a sudden we start seeing Pharisees expressing sentiments that are very opposed to what Simeon, filled with the Spirit, said. What Simeon said was that he had seen with his own eyes the Lord's salvation. And it was a salvation that was not only for Israel, but all peoples. For not only the Jew, but the Gentile too. Marvel they did indeed. And so do you. And so do I. We marvel at what he says here. Because Jesus, after all, was a Jew. And he made very clear during his ministry that he was delivering the gospel first 
to the children of Israel. Now, you immediately will say, well, there's the woman at the well, and there's other exceptions, of course. But Jesus' itinerant ministry was quite narrow, and it was almost exclusively for and within the nation of Israel. But following His resurrection, He commissioned His apostles to fulfill what the prophets had proclaimed. What the prophets had proclaimed, what Jesus commissioned, is that they would go beyond the boundaries of their nation, making disciples of all nations. That English word translated nations is the Greek word ethnos, from where we get our word ethnic or ethnicity. It's the idea of all peoples. We are taking the gospel beyond the boundaries of Jerusalem. Where, Jesus, where? To every kind of people you can imagine. From every tribe, from every tongue, every nation. That's where this good news is to, be, is to go. And as I think about that, I encourage you to join me in thinking about your own story. My own story. How would you have heard the gospel if no one had shared it with you? Maybe you grew up in a godly home. Maybe it was your mom. Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was a grandparent. Or maybe it was a different situation. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a family member. How did you hear the gospel and believe? And then I want you to think about the person through whom you heard the gospel. In my case, it was my parents. How did they hear the gospel? And how did the gospel come to them? And then I think about, how did that person hear the gospel? You see where I'm going, don't you? Because the fact that I heard the gospel and believed originated here. It originated here, you see. In the early pages of Scripture, we see a good news that was proclaimed to Israel was then sent out to a land that did not know God. And generation after generation after generation, you think about that. I believed the gospel because the gospel was sent out of the walls of Jerusalem. If you have faith in Christ today, then let me charge you with this. Oh, give thanks to God. Oh, give thanks to God that He commissioned His church and sent forth His gospel that we too might rejoice like Simeon. Give thanks to God that He did not leave us in our pagan ways. Give thanks to God That he does not leave the lost alone even today. For his church continues commissioned. Think about this. And it was read earlier in the reading of Acts. In the book of Acts we learn the revelation of God's salvation of all peoples. Through Israel's Messiah surprised the Jews and Gentiles. You remember that? Some of you remember maybe the first time that you're reading through the book of Acts. And you're like "Uh, this whole Christianity thing. Why are they so surprised? Why are they surprised that Gentiles are all of a sudden believing? For example, when the Apostle Paul preached the gospel 
at the synagogue of Antioch, when he first preached the gospel, you may recall, I think this is, well, I have it down, Acts chapter 13. You may recall when he first preached the gospel in the synagogue of Antioch, everybody loved him. It's like the sermon, oh, Pastor Paul and Barnabas was there too. Great job, great sermon. And the next Jewish Sabbath, the next Saturday, like the whole city turns out. I've forgotten the way that that Luke puts it, but it was like almost the entire city shows up. And it really freaks out the Jews. They're like, ooh, no, the Jewish Messiah, Israel's Christ, came to us. Now, why are all of these Greeks... Why are they all surrounded here? They want to hear the good news too. And the guy that preached the best sermon ever the previous Saturday now cannot preach his way out of a box. Ah, terrible sermon. They begin, it says they begin to revile him and they begin to contradict him. And here's what Paul said. And he, along with Barnabas, said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when they said that, when Paul and Barnabas said that, all they're doing is quoting Israel's prophets. They weren't flying by without notes, Rusty. They had notes, the Word of God, right? And they're just quoting back to these Jews the Word of God given to Israel, and they hate Paul and Barnabas for it. But then Scripture says this beautiful thing. It says, and when the Gentiles, that's us, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the Word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. According to God's sovereign grace, those who were of the elect, when they heard this, they went, yes, that's it. And I rejoice in it. And I glorify God for it. That's the truth. And that's exactly where we are today. We are exactly with those pagans in Antioch who say, that's the truth. Preach it, Paul. Barnabas is telling the truth according to the Word of God. And such good news is indeed worthy of rejoicing and glorifying the Word of the Lord in the first century, but so also in the 21st century. Finally, I want us to look at this reference to Israel's glory or glory to Israel. Simeon's blessing to God concludes with a helpful distinction of glory. Look with me in verse 32. He says, and we're referring back to God's salvation, for glory to your people Israel. Now we understand by that context, and so also from Scripture, Israel's not a place, it's not a piece of real estate in the Middle East. Israel is a people to whom were entrusted the oracles of God, and through whom God gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. But just as the Jews in Antioch refused to believe the gospel of Jesus, Paul explains in the 11th chapter of Romans that God is at work in this too. He is indeed sovereign. Here's the way that the apostle to the Gentiles, that would be Paul, puts it. So I ask, did Israel stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. 
Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion be? And Paul goes on in the 11th chapter of Romans to explain how God has grafted Gentiles into true Israel through faith in Jesus Christ. And then cautions us. Don't be arrogant. Don't be cocky. Don't be proud because you are in faith. He says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And what Paul describes in the 11th chapter of Romans is the fulfillment of Simeon's blessing in the second chapter of Luke. God's salvation to the Gentiles for Israel's glory. Contrary to unorthodox and heretical beliefs, the Jew cannot be saved by keeping the law. The Jew who keeps the law apart from Christ will spend eternity in damnation. The Jew will not be saved by virtue of their ethnicity or their location on a map. In fact, our friend Stephen Atkinson would tell us that most Jews don't live over in the Middle East. Many of the Jews, the second or third largest population, live in the good old USA. <laughs> in his expository thoughts, J.C. Ryle writes, Christ was indeed the glory of Israel, the descent from Abraham, the covenants, the promises, the law of Moses, the divinely ordered temple service, all these were mighty privileges. But all were as nothing compared to the mighty fact that out of Israel was born the Savior of the world. And so we seek then to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ near and far. As Paul said, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so we also, as the Westminster divines taught us as Presbyterians, we pray for this. We pray for this. And we also pray for the people of Israel. That they would believe in the Messiah. That they would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. For by faith, we too have seen God's salvation. And He has prepared it in the presence of all peoples throughout the world. And let us tell others, let us tell others this truth, that they may know Him too. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we do thank You for the fullness of the Gentiles to come. And we thank You that as Gentiles, that You had mercy upon our souls. And that in time, You advanced Your gospel that we one day would hear the truth and believe it. And we so pray that we would not hoard the gospel, but that we too would share it. That we would be a people who advance your gospel, both locally, throughout the nation, throughout the world. We thank you that in your mercy, you saw fit to save us in Christ. 
And this we acknowledge is only by your grace. And so we praise you. We praise you, O God, for saving us. In Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.